You may be seated. Well, we're looking at a few of the Psalms um, over the last few weeks. Um, Just a little recap on some of those, and then I will get into Psalm 150. There are 150 Psalms in your Bible. We're on pace right now. We're all up to speed. There's five books. The first four books end with a doxology. Praise to God. Amen, amen. Psalm 1 and 2 appears to be an introduction into the Psalms. It begins with, Blessed is the man. And we have an inclusio. It begins with, Blessed is the man in Psalm 1-1. And it ends with, Blessed is the man who takes refuge in the Anointed One, the Messiah. That concludes Psalm 2. Psalm 1 and 2 have doesn't refer to any author. It doesn't follow the normal uh, superscripts that you have in the other psalms where it gives you the occasion of the writing or instructions to the musicians. Um, it's an introduction into the blessed life. Those that are in covenant relationship with him in Psalm 1, we heard Pastor Chris preach on Psalm 1, two, two kinds of men, Two paths, two destinations. And it speaks of those that are in covenant relationship with God through the Messiah. Their delight is in the law of the Lord. They delight in Him. They delight in His Word, who He is and what He's done. And so they're fruitful. Psalm 2 introduces us to a key character in the book of Psalms, to the eternally begotten Son of God. It's interesting, um, when you look through the Psalms, there's an organization to it, a structure. He's trying to lead you into this idea of, you want to be blessed, don't you? Then you're going to need to know who this God is, who He is, what He's done, and what our response should be. So you may wonder why I've gone all the way to the end of Psalm 150. Does it mean we're done with the Psalms? Probably not. But Psalm 1 begins with, Blessed is the man... And Psalm 150, I think, is a conclusion. If you really know who God is and what He's done, you will bless Him. You will bless Him. It's interesting because the last five Psalms begins with and frames each of those chapters with the word Hallelujah in Hebrew and ends with Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That's Psalm 146, 47, 148, 149, and the psalm we're going to look at today. It starts with praise the Lord and ends with praise the Lord. It frames each of those psalms. So by the time the collection of psalms, when we get to the end of them, I think the psalmist or the collectors, the organizers of it, wanted to bring you to the idea that, wow, this God is worthy to be praised. You ought to praise Him. And others ought to praise Him. It's an invitation for others to praise Him. It's actually a command to praise Him. The word hallelujah means to praise Yahweh. Praise Him. It's a command. We are to praise Him. It 
It's funny because a lot of times we use praise the Lord in, in our expression of praise to Him. But the word hallelujah means that we are telling others to praise Him. You need to praise Him. I need to praise Him. We are instructed to praise Him. Well, for us to... You know, by the way, I don't know how many languages you guys speak. I am fluent in most of the languages of the world, at least in one word. Hallelujah. It's in our English language. It's in most known languages of the world. So I'm fluent in almost every language. I'm fluent in Spanish. I have hola down, so I have one word down. So, um, But uh, the idea of hallelujah is that God is to be praised by you, I, others. Um, the word praise, according to the New International Dictionary of Old Testament Theological Exposition, means that we are to shout, acclaim, rejoice, utter a festive cry as an expression and appreciation and response to good qualities. We're to shout, acclaim, rejoice, utter a festive cry as an expression and appreciation and response to good qualities. You probably didn't need that definition, did you? Most of us intuitively know what praise is. We do it all the time. When LeBron James blocked that basketball and pinned it against the backboard when the Cavs were on their way to the championship, praise automatically happens when we see greatness, something good, something that just stirs us. Or when Kyrie Irving hit the shot, the three-pointer, it's like, wow, that is great. Um, you probably didn't need the definition because we are often predisposed or we have this desire to praise greatness, majesty, beauty, splendor, wonder, awe. It happens. That's why people go to the Grand Canyon or the Niagara Falls or a day at the beach, day at the ocean. We're drawn to it and we praise it. Well, this psalm's important because it is a command to praise Him. Um, when you think about creation, why did God make anything? Or why did God make everything? It's to His praise. It's so that God would be glorified. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows forth His handiwork. Day and today, they utter speech. They're, this message goes through the whole world. It's a declaration of His glory. You think about it, even as when it comes to redemption, Paul writing to the Ephesians, that we were saved or redeemed. And for what reason? It's to the praise of the glory of His grace. So in creation and redemption, everything exists to bring God glory, to praise Him. So this should affect how we think about life as Christians, how it would influence how we think about ministry, missions, our Christian life, how we do church, what, why does church exist, um, it should bring us to an idea that we often teach in our catechism. When we ask children, what is man's chief end? I had this happen this week. My granddaughter was staying with us because Danielle and Andrew have now added their fifth child. And so we had the other ones. Um, and he was doing the catechisms with our daughter, granddaughter Jane. And he 
has her on speakerphone and he goes, Jane, what is man's chief end? And she mumbled, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. What, what is man's chief end? And so she had to say it a little louder and clearer. And I asked Jane after the conversation, so what is man's chief end? What does is, what is chief end mean? <laughs> You know, it's why do we exist? What's the whole reason? Everything exists to praise God. Well, the psalm begins with praise God, praise the Lord, and it ends with praise the Lord. Let's read it again. Psalm chapter 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty expanse. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with harp and lyre. Um, verse 4. Isn't come behold our wondrous. Verse 4. Praise Him with timbrel and dancing. Praise Him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And just in case you don't have it by now, praise the Lord, right? That's how it ends. Well, let us pray. Father, this is the reading of Your Word. It's God-breathed. May it do its work in our hearts and lives. We do pray that you would help us to see the glory, majesty, splendor, wonder of who you are, your mighty deeds, your excellent greatness, so that we would praise you and that this praise would resound throughout the earth. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, here's going to be the structure. Verse 1, we'll ask the question, we'll ask the question, where is God to be praised? Verse 2, why is God to be praised? Verse 3, how is God to be praised? And that would be verses 3 through 5. And then verse 6, who is to praise Him? Some of you guys know the answers already. So where is God to be praised? Let's read verse 1 again. Praise the Lord, praise God in His sanctuary, praise Him in His mighty heavens. Where is God to be praised? It's everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. You think about when Jesus taught his disciples to pray. How does the prayer begin? We often call it the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. It's everywhere. Heaven and earth. You think about Genesis 1.1. How does it begin? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's a Hebrew way of saying everywhere, everything. Heaven and on earth. God is to be praised everywhere. You think about the Great Commission. It's so that you and I would go into all the world and proclaim the fame of His name and make disciples everywhere. I like how Pastor Matt normally prays for this gospel, whether it's for our churches locally or our missionaries that we support. 
it's normally with the idea that it's a spreading of the fame of his name everywhere. Let's look at a few of the Psalms, since we are looking at the Psalms, especially 150 today, but this theme rules many of the Psalms. Let's look at Psalm 1849. For this I will praise you, O Lord, where? Among the nations, and sing to your name. Psalm 22:27. All the earth, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. you you're already getting an idea, right? We have quite a few more of these. The idea was is that God is to be praised more than just by the people of Israel, His covenant people. This message was to go global. It was intended so that all creation would declare His praises everywhere, every people, nations. Psalm 46.10 Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Psalm 67 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Selah. Psalm 72 17. May his name endure forever, his fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Psalm 82 8. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. Psalm 86 9. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. Psalm 96 3. Declare the glory among the nations, his, marvel, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Psalm 108 and verse 3. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. And then lastly, Psalm 117 and verse 1, the shortest psalm in the Bible. Praise the Lord all nations. Extol Him, all peoples. Where is God to be praised? Everywhere. By all people. It's why creation exists. It's why you and I exist. It's even the purpose of redemption. It's all to the praise of the glory of His name. So where is God to be praised? Everywhere. In my shower, my kids, they're glad that they moved out, that they're older, because um, they don't have to wake up with this horrendous sound coming from the shower, because I do enjoy singing the praises of my great God and Savior. And it pours over into the other rooms of the house. Many times down the streets, I think our neighbors probably think this guy is wacko. And they probably have just reasons for other, but it's, it's to be everywhere. 
in our workplaces, our school. It should be everywhere. So where is God to be praised? Absolutely everywhere. Verse 2. We'll look at the question, why is God to be praised? Psalm 150, verse 2. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Do you remember our definition of praise? It's a response to good qualities. Psalm 150, verse 2 gives us the reason for why we should praise Him. His mighty deeds and His excellent greatness. It is the normal response when we see beauty, majesty, splendor, wonder, all. When we consider who God is and what He's done, the appropriate response should be praise. Think about it. There is no good apart from God. I like the way Jonathan Edwards put puts it, that all beauty is derived beauty. The things that you find admirable and praiseworthy, the things that you would take delight in in others, for example, it's derived from God. Your wife's tenderness, her care, her kindness, her all of them derived. The things that we enjoy in creation, relationships, all of those things that we praise, it's derived from God. Now here's where we have problems. We are known for the kind of church that's kind of heady. Right? You know, we have the theology, um, but we don't praise Him. Don't, don't get emotional on me. Right? What we'll see in verse 2 is proper theology always leads to proper doxology. We would praise Him. So, why should we praise Him? Because of His excellent greatness and His mighty deeds. Now, here's how I normally come to a verse like this. In verse 2, I start to go back through the Psalms, since it appears in the Psalms. What are some of his mighty deeds that he has done? I, I track that throughout all of scriptures. What are some of the mighty deeds? You and I probably have 4th of July celebrations, so I'm pretty sure you don't want to wait here while I go through all of God's mighty deeds. And that's just the ones recorded in scripture. Wait till you hear about my wife and my grandchildren and my children and their spouses and their godly... You know, we could be here all day long, right? Um, you don't want to be here all day long. So, I, I looked at it in categories. So, And I could have made a lot more categories, but I have three in mind. Creation. God's mighty deeds includes creation. We go back to Genesis, you read about the days of creation, you go through the Psalms and you start to consider, wow, the sun and the moon and the stars, all by the work of His hand. He knows the number of them. He even has names for them, pet names for each star. 
it's getting hard to remember all of my grandchildren's names. And when they're all there together, especially the younger ones, William's Liam and Liam's William, they are the same child. But then you have another new addition. And what's his name? It's Elias. Uh, Yeah, it's getting hard. And yet, God... Think about it. God created everything that's animate, inanimate, the microscopic, the telescopic. Now, my, my brief period at college, my four years of college, it was great for me. You know, I know there was always concern about going to an institution that denied God and many of their professors. I would sit in those classes, whether it's biology, chemistry, and I would sit there and go, I didn't know the kidneys did that. Wow. You know, I didn't know that. I would sit there and be in awe of who God is and what He's done. It's like, so creation itself is a mighty deed of God. I think of the providence of God. I couldn't help but thinking back to uh, Chuck Yorty when he gave his testimony. And much of it had to do with the providence of God. Do you remember the account when they were vacationing and a bear came? And because that bear came, they felt it prudent to leave. And they left. And what happened the next day? The whole mountain came down. I forget how many people were killed. Everyone there would have been killed. He shows the providence of God. God sent a bear. God sent a son, I think, uh, a brother when it came to Vietnam. God sent a wife. He's showing God's providential care. There's no stray molecule in this universe, no stray atom. God knows the end from the beginning, right? Uh, I am very good at knowing the beginning from the end. I am the best Monday... Monday quarterback, you know, look at the games and like the Browns would have been unbeaten last year had they known what I known after the game. You know, if I could have only counseled them and coached them after the game. Um, but God knows the end from the beginning. God in his providence. And for Christians, that ought to cause an illicit praise in you and I. According to Paul in the book of Romans, God works everything together for our good who love God and are called according to His purpose. Everything, even the apparent bad things, work out in our favor. That's praiseworthy, right? So we praise God as Creator for His providential care. And what about salvation? We should thank God for salvation. It should be, should be a great part of our praise makeup. Salvation. When you consider who God saved, you and I, rebels, the Bible makes it quite clear we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, there's none righteous, no, not one, so that includes me, you, and everyone else. Um, the good news actually begins with bad news. God, who He is. We, who we are, and what we've done to transgress against this holy God. Realizing that there's a penalty to our sin. The wages of sin is death. It's all bad news. Until we get to the good news. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe on Him would not perish but have eternal life. God saves us from the wrath of God. 
He reconciles us to himself. You guys, most of you guys already get this idea. But I find it amazing that many of us are so short-sighted. God's salvation did more than just redeemed us from hell. We have things like reconciliation with God, um, union with Christ. We have many other benefits related to God's salvation. Freedom from the penalty of sin, to be sure, but also from its power. Sin no longer has dominion over me. There's remaining sin, but there's not... There's no longer reigning sin. It allows me to enjoy this great inheritance of the saints, according to Paul in the book of Ephesians. You guys are a blessing to me, and we should be to one another, right? There are so many benefits to this salvation. It transforms our life. We see in the book of Corinthians that just by beholding Him, seeing Him in His glory, His majesty, splendor, that we're transformed from one degree of glory to an to another. Um, it does so many things. Uh, we as a family, me and Denise, we will often go through the Gospel Primer. Actually, it's somebody that graduated from Master Seminary, wrote the book, The Gospel Primer, and it's just a way of reminding ourselves of the Gospel. And we try to do that quite regularly to pray the gospel, to preach the gospel to ourselves, to consider this great salvation that God has wrought through His Son, Jesus Christ. So Psalm 2, Psalm 150, verse 2, why are we to praise Him? Because of His excellent greatness and His mighty deeds. We've looked at mighty deeds. How about His excellent greatness? Now we have the rest of our day. See, if... I couldn't have exhausted his mighty deeds, but now let us consider who God is. Now we have to spend the rest of our time in studying the attributes of God. <laughs> Pastor Chris just recently discussed that in Sunday school, so we won't have to go through all the attributes. But it's considering who God is. You know, his omnipotence, his omniscience, his omnipresent, he's eternal, he's immutable, he doesn't change. Um, his mercy, his love, his justice, his holiness. It's who God is. We praise Him according to His excellent greatness. It is amazing that some of the attributes that are spoke of God show you the otherliness of God. You know, like He's infinite. Um, the only way we can try to describe that in human language is to say, here's what God's not. God's not finite. And he's infinite. So we praise God according to His excellent greatness. I like the way Matthew Henry put it um, when he um, commented on this passage. According to, the, according to the multitude of His magnificence. So when we praise Him according to His excellent greatness, it's according to the multitude of His magnificence. Not that our praises can bear any proportion to God's greatness, for it is infinite. But, since He is greater than our conceptions and expressions to the highest degree we can attain to, be not afraid of saying too much in the praises of God, as we often do in praising even great and good men. We cannot speak hyperbolically of God. All the danger is of saying too little, 
And therefore, when we have done our utmost, we must own that though we have praised him in consideration of, yet not in proportion to his excellent greatness. Did you get what he was saying? Our praise is always in consideration of his greatness, not in proportion to. Even though God has revealed himself in scriptures, has condescended and revealed himself even through words, we don't fully appreciate and understand. And there's no way we could appropriately express him in proportion to his greatness, but it's always in consideration of his greatness. He's much greater than your mind can comprehend or my mind can comprehend or even our ability to express it. That was his point. I found it interesting that he used the word hyperbole, though, because we are great at hyperbole. Denise had the worst day ever yesterday. Her phone went on the brink. Worst thing. Trying to get her passwords back and everything. You know. Or have you... We, we all do this. This is the best thing ever. You've got to taste this and try this. We all speak in hyperbole. But when it comes to God, it is impossible to say too much of Him. So why do we praise Him? For His mighty deeds and His excellent greatness. Well, how are we to praise Him? Verses 3 through 5. Praise him with a trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with string and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. So how are we to praise him? Notice what wasn't in there. We don't have the cowbell. (laughs) I don't know why. I've tried to talk to Pastor Chris when I've seen them rehearsing and practicing. Doesn't want anything to do with cowbell. Um, You know, the commentaries are all over on this point when it comes to the instruments. You know, some of them will make much of the instruments. Some will say that the instruments are more representative of, and that's probably the view I espouse. Um, but to be sure, instruments what instrumentation was a part of their worship, right? Now, the reason they're all over the place, some of these instruments mentioned weren't a normal practice within their church or within their synagogues. Um, tambourine and dance wasn't always. We do see it on occasions throughout Scripture, though, not, as, not a part of their corporate worship, but we see after the Exodus, Miriam strikes up the band, right? When they were saved, brought out of slavery, the Egyptian armies are destroyed in the Red Sea, and they start singing praises with tambourine and dance. So if you're concerned right now, wondering whether I'm going to make the um, plea that we should all start a dance, um, we can do a line dancing group here at Sovereign Grace. I don't know who would head that up or lead it up, but I don't think that's what it's speaking of. Um, so some of these things weren't seen in their normal worship. Um, some of, trumpets were often used in warfare, war to start it, sometimes to a start, start a certain feast. Uh, so there was different occasions, but 
some of them would have been used in wedding festivities, especially. So, so, but I don't think it's so much the idea of the instruments themselves. It's not even an exhaustive list of instruments that could have been used or would have been used. Um, now, there are some folks out there today that do not believe that we should have instruments up here be used in corporate praise and worship. I remember one frustrating guy, and I'm not easily frustrated, but we would make these Monday visits to Barnes & Noble, and it was always the greatest. You get a book, you read, you listen to other conversations, and there was some really interesting conversations, and then um, we'd get our Starbucks coffee. Um, but one day I was there, and this guy, I hear him going, to each group that's sitting there reading and he's going, do you believe that instruments should be used in worship in your church? Like, who's asking these kind of questions, you know? It's like, and then it, sure enough, I see him coming to me and it's like, seriously, this is the discussion you want to have. Um, whether instruments should be used in worship. I said, you know, and I let him know, we're not having this discussion. We can go to each of those people and I would ask you something more importantly like where you're at as far as it relates to Christ. You know, I mean, seriously, you're going to go to other... Okay. But anyways, here's my whole point. Um, I do think instrumentation would be used in our corporate worship, right? Uh, matter of fact, some of those... This individual, if I would have listened to him and heard him all the way out, he would say, here we have our Bibles, this part deals with the old, this part deals with the new, you don't see instruments in the new, therefore... Done. The problem is, Ephesians 5, when Paul instructs the Christians in Ephesus, what does he do? He tells them to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And guess what many of the psalms do? <laughs> they're, they're directions to the choir. Hey, bang on this, you know, blow this. You know, it's like, no. It's, so, but my point here today would be, I think this instrumentation... It's how are we to praise God? It's with everything that's within us. I think of the Apostle Paul when he goes through the book of Romans and chapters 1 through 11 soars with this idea of here's who God is and here's what he's done on your behalf. And then he says, here's what's going to... Then it gets practical. Here's what our response should be. And notice his response that we should all give ourselves as what? Living sacrifices. We give our all in our praise to God because of who He is and what He's done, right? It's not passive. That's what I think the instrument... Think about instrumentation. It requires unity, intentionality, purpose. There's a reason I'm not up here leading instrumentation. I don't even think I could do the cowbells. I know I can't do the guitar. Um, I know I can't do the drums. It requires... Matter of fact, there's some instruments that wouldn't be a part of the makeup up here, right? There's some things that eh, just probably wouldn't help bring us all together in corporate worship. So it requires unity. Uh, notice they're normally playing the same thing. Yeah, I couldn't do it. Um, it requires intentionality. They had to come into it with a purpose, an idea, a mindset. It, it requires beauty, skill, and excellence, right? They practice at it. I don't think anyone just showed up here this morning and said, hmm, well, let's just drum this for a little bit and see what happens. Um, no, they rehearse together. 
It involves emotions. When you consider instruments, instruments do convey or represent emotion. Right? Now, don't get alarmed. I'm not talking about emotionalism here. But it does convey emotion. Right? When we think about the victories of Christ and who He is and what He's done, it might be a little bit more upbeat and it might get you excited and go, wow, that is really great. I can't believe who He is and what He's done. When we look at the cross, it might be a little more somber. It might be... Yeah, music always does that. Instruments always do those things. Now, I'm not so much into the instruments as much as how does that pertain to you and I. I do think that you and I should praise God intentionally. That we should do it with excellence. That we should give our all to praising Him. It should stir our emotions. This false dichotomy that, no, you just have to be heady and know what the Bible says about who God is. Sure, but we're also emotional creatures. It's going to affect our emotions and stir our emotions. So I'm not, I'm not promoting emotionalism, but I would say that worship always stirs our emotions. It's not passive. Oh, God. When's it going to end? No, it's not passive. It's giving yourself as a living sacrifice. It's everything that's within you. All for the audience of one. So where is God to be praised? Everywhere. Why is God to be praised? Because of His excellent greatness and according to His mighty deeds. How is God to be praised? We should give our everything to Him. I think that's what the instruments refer to. We give our everything to Him. And then lastly, who is to praise Him? Verse 6, if you already realize that all the questions that are asked are answered with the word E everywhere. You get the idea? Everywhere. His Excellency. Okay. Verse 6. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. See if you guys can guess it. Who's to praise Him? Everyone. Everyone. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, you remember when I started, the idea that His praises should be declared everywhere. We went through the list of Psalms to the nations, to the people, to the whole earth. It's the idea behind the Great Commission, the Lord's Prayer, opening. It's everywhere to be proclaimed to all people. Who's to praise Him? Everyone. Remember I said the idea of praise, God in creation, God in redemption, it's all to the praise of the glory of His grace. What is man's chief end? That we would enjoy God and glorify Him forever. The idea here is that everyone should be praising Him. It has huge impacts on how we think about life, ministry, missions. And so now we get to the who. It's everyone. I like what John Piper says when he writes the book, Let the Nations Be Glad. And here's what he says, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. 
For that matter, evangelism isn't the ultimate goal of the church. There are many things that we might think are the ultimate goal of the church, but he says it's not the ultimate goal of the church to do missions. Worship is. Missions exist today because worship doesn't. Worship is the ultimate worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Is missions important? Sure. Is evangelism important? Sure. Well, what about missions? Worship is the fuel and goal of missions. It's the fuel and goal of the Christian life. It's the fuel and goal of everything. It's to declare the praises of our God. So in a very real sense, this is a missional psalm. You and I should praise Him. We should declare the good news of who He is and what He's done to our neighbors, our co-workers, to the whole world. I like how Pastor Matt normally ends his prayer. I didn't listen for it today and I normally intentionally listen for it when he talks about the spreading of God's fame, His name, through the whole earth, right? It's why we exist. And think about it. We're missional people for the most part, right? Remember earlier I talked about hyperbole and we'll normally say, hey, here's the worst thing ever or here's the best thing ever. When we've experienced the best thing ever, what do we normally do? We have to go tell somebody. I found the cure for your arthritis. Like, okay, I've had like a thousand of them. You know, it's like, it's not working. Um, you know, or the best food, like... Some of them have turned me on to some pretty good ice cream, though. Caramel apple from Handles. Very good. Um, We normally can't help contain ourselves. Praise is the appropriate response when we to something that's good, good qualities. And so praise, if you've experienced, if you've come to know Jesus Christ, who He is and what He's done, His mighty deeds, you can't help but declare His praise. We cannot be silent. We must tell others. The psalmist here is concluding by, what are you going to do about this? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. You and I have got to experience greatness, beauty, majesty, splendor. We see Him as a great God and Savior. We see Him as Redeemer. We see the providence of God in our lives. We see His mighty deeds. And we have a glimpse and an understanding of His excellency, His greatness. And we ought to declare it to others, right? So we cannot be silent. Let me just ask you a few parting questions in closing. Where does your mind go in your discretional time? What do you think about? Your drive to work? When the kids aren't screaming? Up early in the morning? 
or at night, maybe during the middle of the night, where does your mind go in your discretionary time? What do you often think about? Do you only think about God on Sunday morning for a few minutes? Where does your mind go? I said a few questions. I only had one. There's two kinds of people. No, three kinds of people. Those that can count and those that can't. Um, The other one's not getting it yet. We'll get it a little bit later. Um, But the big idea is, and the reason I asked that question, if it normally doesn't go to God, His excellency, His excellent greatness, His mighty deeds... Why not? I like one of the things John Pipe revolutionized my Christian life um, with the idea that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And he would contend that the most important thing in your life and mine, and I think that's the heartbeat of what Psalm 150 is about. It's why God created everything. If it is the most important thing, there's nothing more important than you to see and savor Christ. That's why we have the disciplines of grace. We have the Word of God. So I can win a doctrinal battle? No, I want to know Him. I want to know who He is and what He's done. Does that make sense? You know, it it puts us in a place. Why do we pray? Is it just to get a list of needs met? It's one of the reasons, maybe, but it shouldn't be the ultimate reason. Where does my mind go? We all have a lot of discretionary time. Where does my mind go? If it is the most important thing in the Christian life, then we need to take advantage of the means of grace that he has given us. That's why even fellowship. It is encouraging to be around other Christians and hear the mighty deeds of God, even in their own life and and their perspective when they're going through scriptures. Hey, did you get this? Here's who God is and what he's done. It's like, oh, that is absolutely amazing. Um... It's why we sing praises together. We join in unity and in passion going, yes, he is absolutely great. Is this making sense? So if you are silent, or if you're not thinking about him throughout the week, go to the scriptures. Call up another Christian friend, somebody here. Talk to him. Pray. You know the primary reason for prayer is so that we can commune with God, talk with God? If you start hearing back, maybe a little concern. God's primary way to still speak to us today is through the scriptures, right? Um, But talk with God. Well, let's close in prayer. But I do at least want to challenge you guys. If you have experience and known Him, you know God. That's what verse 2 is about. If you've known Him, you need, to, you need to declare the praises to a lost and dying world. And you need to declare them to those that aren't lost and dying. I love to hear the gospel. That's why I do the gospel primer quite often. That's why I read the scriptures. It is amazing who God is and what he's done. I need those reminders. Let's pray. Father, we do want to have a passion 
to spread the fame of your name throughout the whole earth. For that to happen, we must consider who you are and all that you've done, your mighty deeds and your excellent greatness, because we want you to be praised everywhere because of who you are and all that you've done. And how shall we do it? I trust with a great deal of zeal and passion that we would offer ourselves to you as a living sacrifice, especially in light of who you are and what you've done. May we talk about you with our friends, co-workers, family members, believers, non-believers. May we spread the fame of your name throughout the whole earth. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Some church traditions call the, the Lord's table the Eucharist, and um, sometimes people want to break out into allergic reaction when they hear that word. Uh, but 